Hello and welcome to Behind Health Statistic. My name's Ricky Hellier and I'm a lecturer at Cardiff University School of Healthcare Sciences. In this episode, my colleagues Martin Floyd and Claire Job were speaking to Jill about her experiences of accessing the NHS whilst having a disability. So what is a disability? Well, we can look to the Equality Act 2010 um, to give us a definition for this. And this act sets out um, what it means to be disabled. So essentially it says uh, you can be classed as disabled if you have a physical or mental impairment and that the impairment has substantial and long-term adverse effects on your ability to carry out normal day-to-day activities. So, statistics from the Family Resources Survey um, suggest there's around about 14.1 million people who are classed as disabled in the United Kingdom. Um, 8% of children are classed as disabled, 90% of working adults, and 46% of pension age adults. Um, Disability can include physical impairment, it can include sight impairment, it can include infections such as HIV. So now over to Sue, who will tell us about her lived experience. Welcome to this podcast. Today we're joined with Jill Tyra and Sally Sheehy. Jill is a person living with a physical disability and Sally is joining us today from the Philidomide Trust. She is a health and well-being coordinator. So Jill, I think the first place to start is for you to tell us a little bit, please, about um, the kind of physical disability that you live with. Yeah, Um, I'm a thalidomide person, uh, two short arms, one short right leg, and I'm basically in a wheelchair. I do walk occasionally on my artificial leg um, and to get in and out of bed and things. Good. Thanks, Jill. So that's kind of giving our our listeners a kind of idea of of the disability that that you're living with. Thinking about your disability generally, Jill, how do you find that's managed when you go um, to a hospital appointment or or to a clinic appointment? Do you think people are prepared and ready to assist you in ways that you need? Um, If I go on my own, I don't think so. Um, I don't know whether they actually read the uh, file to say, what disability I have um but also when I do go with like my 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 PA that happens as well they they don't know oh what can we do now you know it's sort of a sometimes a look of a bit of a horror on the face realizing that um the person that's coming for the appointment actually has a disability um and it can be a bit um not intimidating for me I can find it quite amusing sometimes but I think for them, I think it can be, oh, um, what do we do now sort of thing. So do you think then that um, certain departments really are not prepared and maybe not ready to have the sort of equipment and, and support that you need when you when you arrive? If it's just like going to see a consultant and I know I'm not having actual treatment um, when I did have the bowel cancer about 11 years ago, um, that wasn't too bad because you can navigate around that. It's when you're actually having treatments that it could be a bit, uh, sometimes a bit awkward. Um, 
but there again you know as long as we talk through it what we what I need and um explain what I would like to happen which would be best for me they tend to come around pretty quickly Mm, mm. okay so so what can health professionals do then to improve the way that they communicate with you when you've in these kind of decision-making meetings with people? I think the first thing to do is really read the file on the person Mm -hmm. with a physical disability. And um, I I know time's limited, but I think sometimes that extra time can help the person to feel at ease. Um, And also anybody who's with them, uh, they... um, Sometimes you can't actually talk to the person themselves because uh, they might have some other issues as well. So, but try and include them. That's the main thing, I think. And ask them, you know, how would you like blood being taken or how would you like to get on a table or, you know, how would you help standing up? That's really interesting, Jill, isn't it? So I suppose it's about as us as healthcare professionals not making assumptions maybe um, and making sure that the individual is given the independence as much as possible not to assume that someone's in a wheelchair that they cannot stand or they cannot uh, maybe get onto the examination couch so is that kind of you know an important thing for us to stress to students training in the health professions and health professions who are qualified that you know, we, we mustn't be blinkered and make assumptions in our interactions with our our clients. That's right. Well, I had that done to me last year or the year before, actually. I went to a hospital at um, Bangor and had to have um, a smear um, test done. And the, 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 the nurse came out and looked at me and she disappeared. And then she came back and... And I got into the room where the um, the consultant was and she said, oh, if you could just sort of do do something. I can't remember exactly what it was, she said. And then the next minute, this, ob- this thing appeared to lift me out of my chair. Well, I think the look of horror on my face was just enough. And I said, well, I can actually stand. And if the bed lowers, I can actually sit on it. And he went, oh, oh oh, right, okay, so, you know, it was sort of a bit of a learning curve in that respect Mm, for them, but they just assumed I needed a lifting apparatus instead of coming to me and saying, how would you like to be dealt with? You know, that that was my main thing to get across as well. Yeah, and such a simple thing to do, isn't it, to just ask the person themselves what their needs are. How does that kind of you know, as you describe a kind of a negative experience of dealing with health professionals and health services, how does, what does that, does that put you off the next time you go to a health appointment? Does no, it, does... no, definitely not. I just think, oh, well, they've been through this and providing if I go there again, which I, I don't know if I will, um, they, and they see my name, they'll be like, oh, hang on a minute, we'll just ask her what, we, what she wants this time, you know, how we can help her. Because um, I used to go to one regular place all the time and they got to know me, so they knew how I would roll, basically. So, um, you know, they were very good in that respect. 
It seems very much, Jill, isn't it, that, you know, communication, it's a really simple word yeah. to say, but communication is absolutely vital. Um, and it's, it's fine that we know all our sort of medical knowledge and nursing knowledge and stuff, but communication is a central key and we really can't get that over no. to students. No, and reading yeah. as well, you know, reading the file, if it's on paper, on the computer, read it. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether you're seeing the person only once, you know, just just please read. That's all, you know, I can say on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes probably the challenge for some health professionals is that they're really busy, isn't it? And I suppose yes. they sometimes don't have time, but maybe sometimes we could think, well, maybe it's better to call you in for your scan or whatever five minutes late having read your information that may be bringing you on time and not be prepared because that will actually delay things even more I suppose wouldn't it I suppose it would but by, but if you, you are going for a scan or x-ray I think sometimes um you know if you're a bit forewarned it's forearmed sort of thing yes yeah and I, I know time is precious and I understand all that but sometimes just those a couple of minutes even can make a lot yeah. of difference I think mm. yeah yeah that's really interesting because there is some evidence isn't there that people living with a disability get a kind of a poorer healthcare experience particularly things like cancer screening and you know like you talked about going for a smear test Jill why do you think that is? Obviously, we talked about communication, and what is? Are there other? What other things do you think are are at play there? Is it accessing buildings as well? Is there is there more barriers than just buildings? Can be another cause because sometimes um, if you go to build it, the, particularly the older buildings, they can be. I mean, I've I've been very fortunate wherever I've been; it's always been easy access. So. That's, I've been very lucky in that respect. Um, but yes, I think uh, buildings could play a lot of part in it, particularly if, if you're doing like an out of hours as well. You know, if they're trying to do a catch up, they will say, come on a Sunday morning at a particular time. And then you get there and you think, oh, there's a load of steps. How do I get in now? And you can't, com you can't ring them because you've got no number or they don't answer. So I think, yes, you need, that's the other thing you've got to think about, you know, oh, that person has a disability, a wheelchair, right, my, the my, get into the place where it's easy access or come to the hospital, you know, on an out-of-hours clinic or something. Um, but yes, I think you're right there. So thinking, Jill, about your sort of particular, your particular situation that you have a physical disability and then you had um, a cancer diagnosis. Um, do you think or from your own experience, do you feel that um, in the, the, the management of your cancer, that the people working with you, the surgeons, the nurses, could they understand your physical disability as well? Or do you think they sort of just focused on your cancer and sort of tended to ignore the physical, the physical disability side? Did they, no. did they look at you holistically in a sense? I, I think so. Yes, they did in, in one way, because I made sure they did. Uh, but yeah. I was very, very lucky with mine. Um, 
uh, it was a bowel cancer I had and I'm gone to our GP within two weeks I was up at the clinic uh, you know at the hospital having um and then uh, and Scott could say I can't say it <laughs> camera um yeah and then um the only going into hospital that I talked with a consultant at length and he did some research on the best way to deal with me he got hold of him spoke to a few of other people that similar to my disability and spoke to their um you know they gave permission for them to speak to their consultant and say well with this person we did it this way you might be able to do it that way with your patient mm. um, so in that respect I was very very lucky um, the only downside on that was I was cancelled twice and I'd been through you know the prep and everything um, yeah. so I wasn't too happy on that but there again hey ho what can you do um, so yeah. it was third time lucky the, uh, the other thing was when I came out of the um, theatre and I came round and back on the ward, um, I didn't realise that I was going to be so tubed up that I couldn't move my arms. And with only having small arms, you know, there's not much to yeah. grab. Um, so that they'd have to feed me. And now they were pre-warned about this. I'd already said that this is going to happen. Um, and when I could eat... <laughs> They sort of plonked it on the table nicely and said, oh, I'll be back in a minute, you know, an hour later, you know, it's about half an hour, I think, somebody came to feed me. Mm -hmm. I had it because, A, I could eat and B, I was hungry. So, but it was very nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh... And I, I suppose in a way, Jill, that, that, that is a, that's, that's quite a challenge, isn't it, sometimes, that you want to maintain your independence as much yeah. as possible which is what we want to do but there are situations where you may need help and as you said having that short time delay that the you know the nurse going off and probably being busy doing other things but I suppose that then does affect your own self-esteem in a sense of being independent doesn't it you know and, and in that situation yes it does I mean I, I needed help from going in anyway so I needed you know I did warn mm. them that I'd need extra help um you know and if they could get extra staff on you know and I know I knew what the answer would be anyway so you know but asking um but yes mm. I mean sometimes it's things like that they have to consider you know the long term yeah. if they have to go in you know this person's going to need an extra body extra help to go to the bathroom shower in and out of bed commode you know when you can't get to the bathroom and things like this so I was very fortunate where I went in they all knew me so in that respect you know I was, I was treated okay it's, good, uh, good. it's interesting what you're saying about the consultant because it sounds like one of the things that was good about that experience was that it was somebody that was willing to think outside the box maybe do a bit yes. of creative thinking yes. is, is yes. that important yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And planning ahead and maybe needing, you know, more resources. And like you were saying, getting maybe extra staff uh, to help or certainly thinking about your needs and equipment and that kind of thing in that post-operative yeah. period. Yeah, really definitely. Important. Okay, yeah. that's really, really interesting and good for us to, uh, to know.
And I suppose what that what you're saying there, Jill, really reinforces again, you know, good communication. The surgeons talk to other surgeons. They talk to uh, other anaesthetists to make sure that, you know, um, your, your surgery went as, as smoothly as possible yes. yeah. in a way that supported so. you and maintained whatever independence you had in those situations. Um, yeah. So that that's another, again, a really good example, isn't it? Of, of, yes. Yeah. Of, um, I mean, and, yeah. Yeah, and anaesthetists come and see you anyway. Um, and I think they sort of took the time as well just to make sure that they could get, you know, where they wanted to get to, basically. No, that sounds really good. Um, Jill, you were talking about sometimes you have somebody with you at health appointments. Yes. Um, of course, that's helpful, isn't it, for lots of people, because it's difficult, isn't it, to remember all... Well, that you've been told in and I certainly struggle with that myself um how does that impact on communication just sometimes do they sometimes defer to the person with you or do you always feel involved in your decisions no they I've always felt involved because I, I try and make sure that I am um sometimes you know I, I might say to PA oh what's you know what was the best way of doing something and she would say then but no I've never known them to do to speak to them you know in that respect well that's good I, I suppose following on from what Claire was just talking about there Jill in a sense um what what's how would you advise somebody you know if I was going to say to to a to a student tomorrow you know what practical advice do you think I should give to somebody in terms of good communication techniques, maybe with somebody in a wheelchair, you know, I'm very conscious that you don't want somebody sort of towering over you in a sense that, you know, what, 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 from a very practical point of view, what, what, what suits you in terms of good communication, being a wheelchair user? Um, I think if you can either kneel or sit near them or opposite yeah. them, to try and come down to their level, because there's yeah. nothing worse than neck ache looking up. I know they sit across the desk sometimes, um, and I, I think that sometimes can also be a barrier as yeah. well, mm. and particularly if it's going to be, you know, fairly serious. I think, you know, the last thing you want is somebody across the desk giving that whatever, you know, news yeah. or information, um, bad or good. I mean, it could be good as well. Um, yeah. And I think if you're near them, it's, it makes a it makes me feel better for them being, yeah. you know, near mm. um, and at high level. Yeah. That's, yeah, I think that's really good, isn't it? It's that almost um, comforting aspect of someone being close yeah. to you, particularly yeah. if you have to break bad news. I, I was wondering, Jill, did you have to attend um, hospital or any kind of consultations during COVID? Did that, did that sort of affect your experience of a hospital setting at all? I was fortunate, no, I didn't have to go. Um, I normally go to ENT, which is an outpatient, but they didn't have it on anyway. So, but my first time of going when I could go, I must admit, I was a bit a bit nervous about it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, provided, they assured me that, you know, everything's cleaned and we wait. And so, because there's different times now, so you, you have to go, at a certain time and there's only ever in the waiting room now one or two people at the most including yourself mm -hmm. so 
they, they've reduced it in that respect. Um, and I think it probably worked out better in one way, really. Um, yeah. You know, because you get through people a lot quicker. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And thinking about the way maybe that consultations have changed, there's now kind of a move, isn't there, to using um, online consultations. Um, and certainly the NHS has a package, doesn't it, of, of being able to provide online consultations. Do you think that's maybe um, a positive for somebody who has a disability? Or actually, do you think it would be too easy to say, we'll give you an online appointment, but in actual fact, that physicality you talked about earlier is actually more important? I think it depends on what problem there is. If it's, you know, you've, um, if it's you've got a bad cough or you've got a spot on your forehead that you don't know what it is or something like that, I think that's good. Yeah, I, that is fine. But sometimes um, you've got, problems elsewhere on the body and they can't actually mm. see it and you don't really yeah. want to do it over the mm. you know sure, sure the video call should we say yes um, yeah so there are a lots of twos and a lots of against i think mm. but for simple things like a bad cold or earache or a cough or you know a cut on the hand where they can actually see the hand but if it's somewhere else on mm. your body personally yeah. i would like to go in and see your doctor or your consultant or whoever. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Jill. Sal, Sally, can we come over? Can we come over to you now? Just uh, tell us a little bit about the Flidamide Trust and you know what uh, your your role and, and how you help and support people. Um, okay. So I, my background is I was a nurse and I worked for social services and um, the trust is there to support. Um, beneficiaries who have been identified as they're born with thalidomide embryopathy and then have various different disabilities as a result. Um, obviously, it's, it's quite vast. Everybody's different. Um, I support by helping people to navigate the services, there for wellbeing calls, for it can range from something to do with they've had an insurance claim problem and they can't get hold of someone and, or they perhaps can't use the phone to helping somebody who's perhaps got somebody in the family's end of life or their end of it also it's just such a wide varied yeah job so you never know what's coming in but um hopefully we can if we don't nobody knows the answer to everything but hopefully if we can help and support people to try and find that then we'll do our best to do that yeah so i suppose sally thinking within that you know massive remit of work that you cover from a sort of healthcare perspective um, what are some of the issues that maybe some of your beneficiaries chat about or, or raise concerns about accessing hospital facilities or NHS facilities in general? Are there sort of some common themes that arise? Yeah, and I do find it's a bit of a postcode lottery. There doesn't seem to be equity across the board. Everybody's different. Um, I think, as you say, I mean, for me, the key is to always remember, I think if you're telling students and people is that, you're choosing as a professional to, to go into this field, to work with people who need help and support. Those people coming to you are not. And I always try to have that at the back of my mind. And so, you know, in a way, as I say, a privilege, but you are there, you've chosen to do that. So always, if you can, at the back of your mind to do, you know, that's what I would always try and remember. With regard to 
different hospitals and the problems it is it is so varied so I mean communication as you said is a problem you know if somebody's profoundly deaf if they're unable to use BSL due to their physical disability that's a problem um, again we've had people you know where we've in, actually been in touch with the the teams before an operation explained everything sent in templates and said this person might not be able to manage to do this this and this and afterwards and it still hasn't worked because of the sizes of some of the hospitals and you have high turnover of staff there's there isn't that mm. continuity and you know people going into hospital are most you know a lot of people are frightened they are worried so communication and explaining things goes a long way i mm. think to to allay some fears and helping someone's recovery and yeah yeah i think that's a really good point actually that that you made there sally isn't it that the fact that um, people can have a physical disability, they can also have a sensory disability, so they, they may have a degree of blindness or, or, or they may be deaf. Um, and it's again, it's not um, blinking ourselves to thinking of only physical disability, that we have to think actually, what will we do and how we manage somebody that has um, um, is deaf? And, and that's a really good point then for someone like Jill who might find it difficult to do sign language then how can we manage that and improve the communication so that's a really important point that you raised Thank, thanks Sally. Okay it's like um, I, th I get Sally from from your experiences this idea around that everybody's needs are different and even though needs are different the quality of the care they receive shouldn't be different people should you know people need to no. get that's right I think I was I mean I was trained it was quite old-fashioned I would say some people say 1985 but the first things I was trained was when you speak to somebody when you first actually approach a patient or a client or however is to actually say what would you like to be called mm. Daphne or Mrs Brown you know you mm. first of all you're doing that introduction again as, as Jill did say you know the lidomide is quite a unique um you know, field that that work in, you do find a lot of younger professionals perhaps have not heard of the because of when it, you know, sort of came about. So it's that if you don't, if you see something that's, you know, perhaps cropping up, do go and read about it so that you don't seem, you know, and the, the worst thing that I find a lot of, you know, people do say, how do you spell that? And you're saying that to somebody who's living it. And that is just such an awful thing. It shows lack of interest yeah. and knowledge. And it's something very basic, isn't it? So, yeah. 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 Knowledge is knowledge is key. And it's not rocket science. It is just, as you say, it's how you approach somebody, consideration, because you're choosing to be there and they're not, and then looking at the whole, you know, holistically and not assuming, you know, when you look at somebody um, and their ability. I mean, Jill, as we say, going back to Jill, Jill, you know, you're able to speak up for yourself perhaps a bit more than some, I would say, but there are a lot yeah. of people who are very nervous, very frightened. Yeah. You know, they may have a, a, an impairment, slight impairment of their memory or their, you know, it could be a number of things and that all needs to be taken into account. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a, it's a really good point, actually, Jill, isn't it? Because when you talk about your interaction with health services, it almost sounds to me that you have to be extra assertive or you have to go that extra mile to demonstrate that you're, you know, uh, a decision maker, somebody who, you know, who was able to, to, to participate and, and make decisions for themselves. Do you feel like that, that you, that you have to fight harder than other people? Sometimes, yes, I do, actually. Uh, but I've also I've been very lucky that I've been in sort of on that side of things for 
for quite a long time now since I was little yeah. not all the time but you know in and out dipping in and out mm. and um so I so yes that it can be hard in that respect mm. um but I, when I do speak out I just hope that the people I speak to do take all this in consideration and they, and they will take that with them when they meet another person with a disability whatever that might be they think oh hang on yes we saw so and so oh I'll try this and, you know mm. so it's it's like word of mouth, isn't it, I suppose, as well. Um, but yes, but I, I quite enjoy that kind of thing. I'm sort of, I don't know, I don't know if I've been a frustrated doctor or nurse or <laughs> something like that. And we have loads of, um, you know, medical people in our family and everything. So I was always brought up in that respect, you know. Um, so yes, uh, yeah, it, but there again, it swings and roundabouts as well. Yeah, yeah. I think something that Sally just said uh, just now actually is really important as well, isn't it? That, you know, we, we should be aware um, of, of different conditions, but yes. I suppose our, our brain is limited. We can't remember everything. So I suppose it's, it's having the courage to say if somebody met you for the first time, Jill, and they hadn't experienced somebody with thalidomide before, to have the courage to say, Jill, could you just explain to me what that is and, and how it affects you? Um, so it's about healthcare professionals, again, using communication in a, in yes. a really appropriate yeah. manner to inform themselves um, of how it's best to, to work with you and, and maintain your, your independence. Yeah, I mean, I can always tell when somebody's not actually been around disabled people because they tend to look everywhere, but, you know, they will look over your head, they'll look papers they just won't look you in the eye you know mm. or or even come down to your level they'll just do anything but to you know and I'm thinking I'm, I'm, I'm here you know I'm down here please look down at me I'm talking to you yeah you know yeah. sort of thing it's, yeah. and, by um, the same and by the same token Jill I don't know if you is you know that a lot of the people you know people I talk to is they have to go over if you've had a disability for a long time they're telling people exactly the same things over and over again and they yes. find that frustrating you know yes. you know what yes. is your you can tell me all about it that's one of yeah. the key things to so have a good look before or know yeah. have a bit more information because especially if you've had a disability from birth or you know from a young age you know again it could be that you you know you're fed up or you hate having to go into hospital all the time and you hate having to be you know prodded and poked and it's not something that and, and that quite a few people you know oh, yeah. come across are quite fearful of hospital yeah. because of that and I've had I, back I can, yes I can quite understand that and I think you know this is where the, mm. the thing that should come in where you know they should try and look and see at you know the notes or whatever they've given and mm. you know and really reassure these people that are nervous I can understand mm. that I think you know, people would probably run a mile than actually go into a hospital um, for various reasons. And I think that's where your empathy would probably come in, particularly if you've got a nurse with you or with them as well. So, yes, I think it's just the overall basic thing. I think what's interesting, um, Jill and Sally, and I think something that's sort of I'm, I'm picking up from our chats here today is that, OK, we're in 2021. 
and we have lots made lots of improvements in terms of of our ability to care and our and um, you know uh, managing somebody with a physical disability and, and as you said you talked about the equipment that we've got in hospitals nowadays but I still think it seems we've got a long way to go um, I still think you know um, our our approach still needs to be developed we still need to listen mm-hmm. to people like yourself Jill because I still think there's a lot to learn oh, about how we you know um, how we need to work with with individuals to make sure that we're giving them the best possible care that we possibly can. So I think, you know, it, there's a long way to go yet. Yes. And if the person who doesn't really want to go and have a, a good experience, but to their ability, so they're not fearful if they do have to go in again, they'll know yeah. exactly what might be coming mm. or, you know, and they know they could get help for it. Mm. Absolutely. It's different challenges, isn't it, from years ago as well, because the population is obviously a lot bigger. You tend to be more of a number now than yeah. you've lost that personal touch because hospitals are massive. It's faster paced. You've got targets. It's whipped people yeah. through the system. Yeah. And you know, especially if you've got a disability, you can sometimes only work at a certain pace. So it's yeah, exactly. Being monitored, yeah. Yeah, I th- that's a really good point, um, Sally. I, I think because you know my background is is I was a radiographer for for twenty five years in the health service, and and I'm very aware nowadays of meeting targets in in terms of scanning patients in CT and MR, and we're looking to scan as you know as many patients as we can in a day, um, and then it's about making sure that you know if somebody does have a physical disability that we actually provide the most appropriate care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and we, we have to say, well, we can't sort of um, uh, go at a certain pace here. We have to be guided by that individual. Okay. Yes, I agree. I was going to say you just can't sort of, you know, hop on the table as quick as somebody who is the norm, the normal, which I don't like the word normal, but, you know, who, who can get on a table, should we say, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, because sometimes they, they do need a couple of minutes or so to transfer from one place to another or if they're on a sticks or if they can't bend very well or they've got a prosthesis or anything mm. you know it does take time mm. and the last thing the person wants to be you know rushed sort of yeah. thing because I think yeah. it could make it worse for them yeah and they're already think... there because of a health condition aren't they they're there yeah. because they're having an investigation which yeah. is an added worry isn't it yeah or... exactly yeah exactly and I think that, Jill, really reflects what you were saying about being prepared and making sure that us, that we as health professionals yeah. read the documentation, read any information we're given so that we avoid that sudden panic and having to try and rush things through yes. uh, and make it a really unpleasant experience for the for the individual. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. OK, then. so, Jill, just to, to sort of sum up, I guess, if we were to say to you, you know, what are the three take home messages to the health professionals listening to this podcast today? What, what matters most to you? For me, what matters is please, please read the information if you can and really read it. Um, and if you can also get down to their level, that's, you know, easy to do. Um, and the third one is to to listen, I think, to listen to the person that's trying to say to you, don't put the needle there, put it this way, 
um, or whatever it might be. I'm just using a needle as an example. Yeah. Or, you know, please tie the tourniquet here, not on there. You know, they're just various. But the important thing is to listen to the person because they know their body better than anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Sally, what about, about any kind of final last thoughts or messages you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, definitely communication. Definitely, I would say try and have empathy because not everybody's a number and you've got to get, I know you've got to go through the day, so empathy. And um, as, as uh, Jill says, listen. Definitely to listen, I think, because yeah, people know themselves better. Thank you, Sally. Martin, have you got any last thoughts? No, I, I think it's, you know, it's it's been a privilege to, to chat to Jill and Sally today. Yeah. It's been absolutely fantastic. And certainly I think, you know, I just would take away what, what Jill and, and Sally are saying there. It's about it's about listening, it's about taking time, it's about empathy, which we know we should we should all have as, as healthcare professionals. Uh, but it's communication. It's an easy word to say but it's, it, it has a massive impact and it has a big impact on making your experience the best that we can provide when we care. Absolutely. So one size certainly doesn't fit all. We're all individuals. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes I yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Good. Okay, well, thank you so much, Jill and Sally, for joining us for this podcast today. Um, and we'll wrap it up. Thank you, thank you everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> So thanks again to Martin, to Claire, and especially to Jill for letting us into that conversation. Um, if you'd like more information about the topics covered, please look at organisations such as Scope, who fight for equality for disabled people, and people like the Citizens Advice Bureau. Thanks ever so much for listening. <laughs>